Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Thank you, Jordan. What a joy it is to see our young people growing up to know God and wanting to pursue Him and uh, be lights and stewards for Him in their different areas. Amen? Amen. Well, it's a joy, it's a blessing, it's an honor to be here with you this evening. Uh, This summer, we're going through a series about ordinary faith uh, with different individuals recorded for us in Scripture. Uh, Parker Cornwell started the series for us looking at Nicodemus and a faith that grows. Jake Long preached about faith that takes risks with Shifra and Pua. Ben Bailey challenged us that faith gives in looking at the widow who gave all that she had. And then Kevin Allen encouraged us that our faith comes by the Word of God, uh, seen in King Josiah. And tonight, I'd like us to look at something a little bit different. We'll be looking at the topic of fearing God with our children uh, through the story of Hannah recorded in 1 Samuel. So please stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Samuel 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathium Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am not. I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up from all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she was weaned. Until she weaned him, excuse me. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I have asked of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she should have but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his home in Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest's meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, they must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up from her husband to, with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. 
Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for these young people that have been up here. Lord, I pray that you give them courage to go and be bold lights for you. For all the young people of our church, Lord, may we raise them in the fear and knowledge of you. Lord, bless my words. May they be your words. Uh, may the words of our heart, my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, strengthen our Redeemer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that was a long passage, so thank you for paying attention to that. But it was important to get through it uh, for our uh, message tonight. Now, Scripture tells us that Hannah uh, was one of two wives of Elkanah. And the book of, Chronic- of Chronicles tells us that Elkanah was from the tribe of Levi, tribe of the priests, and they lived in the, tribe of, in the area of Ephraim. And the Levites, as the priests of the nation, were spread throughout the whole nation. And each man was to travel to where the tabernacle was to offer sacrifices to God three times a year. And one of those times, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was for the whole family to go together to do this. Okay? And so the city of Shiloh was at this time where the tabernacle was held. It was placed there by Joshua, uh, and it became the spiritual center of the nation at that time. Okay? And so the timeline of our story uh, is during the time of the judges. So there was a lot of turmoil, both spiritual and physical, going on. And as one of Elkanah's wives, Hannah traveled with him to Shiloh to make sacrifices. And we see Elkanah caring for her by giving her a double portion because she didn't have any children. And during this time, we see Peninnah, Elkanah's second wife, would ridicule her for not having children. Now, I'm sure this is not the only time that this happened. It's clear that we see in our passage that the Lord is sovereign over Hannah's trials. He was the one that closed her womb. It says that specifically. Now, this was not just a small problem or a short-term one. Our passage tells us that this was year after year. And we can all, I think, infer that this would have been hard for Hannah being in a household and seeing Peninnah and these children every single day as well. But we need to remember that the Lord is sovereign over all of our trials. And during times of pain and suffering and hardship, While we often want to ask the Lord why this is happening, there are many mysteries of God that we don't know, that our minds aren't able to comprehend, and that God is sovereign over. In God's goodness to us, he tells us in his word many places that God gives us trials for our sanctification, to make us more like Christ, to draw us to, to be near to him and rely on him for strength and not to rely on our own. Now let's look at Hannah, how Hannah responded to this hardship. She turns to the Lord and is genuine in her, in her prayer. And she's genuine about her trial. We see in verse 11 that she's honest about how hurtful this is and recognizing that it is only the Lord who can change this. She doesn't ask God why this has happened. She asks that the Lord remembers her in this trial. And this is an example for all of us in all of our prayer lives. We're often dishonest in how we pray. We aren't willing to really tell the Lord how hurtful we are and how hurt we are and why. 
We know that what we're going through already, and God knows what we're going through already, but often we want to hide or oppress what's going on, and we think that if we speak it out loud, it actually is going to make it become reality. But actually, God knows our thoughts and our hearts already. Now, this last year, we studied in Psalms uh, in our small groups. We looked through different sections of the book of Psalms. And we see David praying like this as well, being genuine, being real and raw uh, during times of affliction. And while most of the Psalms begin like this, with David crying out for help, for deliverance, uh, they end almost always with hope and thanksgiving for God's goodness. Now, along with being genuine, Hannah was specific in what she prayed for. She asked the Lord to remember her and give her a son. God's word tells us that we have not because we ask not with right intentions. We need to be specific in our requests to God. I know many of you have done this and are doing this. This is part of why we get together on Sunday evenings, to be able to pray specifically to one another, and what a joy it is to be able to do that. I know that just this past week, there has been many answers to prayer specifically that you have all seen, and I have seen as well. Praise God for that. But this story of Hannah is a good reminder for us all to continue in being specific in our prayers and looking to how God answers. I remember after our first daughter, Arodella, passed away, and dealing with the pain and sorrow of all that, praying that God would grant us another daughter. And almost a year to the day that we buried Arabella, our daughter Adele was born. It's helpful for our faith to look back and see how God answered specific prayers and to remember his goodness to us and continue to expect that God will answer these prayers specifically as well. Hannah was specific in her request for a son and God granted this request. Hannah's prayer is also one of humility. She's asking that God remember her in her affliction. Again, this is not a short-term thing. This is going on year after year after year. And in her prayer, she makes a vow, a promise, a solemn promise to the Lord that if he grants her this request, she will give this son to him. She's humble in her fear of the Lord. He grants her this request, and she honors her vow. We see Samuel is born and raised until he's weaned, probably around three years old. And verse 25 tells us that they went and took him and gave him to the high priest, just like she promised. I'm sure this was a hard thing. This son that she'd asked for, that she'd fed and cared for for three years, this little boy whom she loved, she'd only see him now for one time a year. Our little Aubrey is about two and a half. And to think that in about eight months, we might be doing the same thing if God called us to, that he would, man, that would be hard. The same thing that Hannah and Elkanah did with Samuel. And, we, may, and even though we don't do exactly like the story says, we re, must remember that our children are not ours. Our children are the Lord's, whether they're in our homes for two years or 22 years or 52 years. And you may be sitting here and thinking, well, you know, I don't have any biological children, so this message really isn't for me. You may not have biological children, but all, all of us here have spiritual children. You may not have physical parents here in this church, but look to the spiritual mothers and fathers that are here that care for you and love you. When we baptize the children of our church, we take vows to God. 
The parents take vows, as well as the rest of us, our whole church family, all of us. We make a solemn promise to raise the children of our church in the fear of the Lord. This includes all of us who are part of the family here to help in the raising of God and the fear of the Lord. Young people, all of you that helped with VBS, I want to thank you for your work. You probably don't realize the impact that you had on our little children in this church. I know many of you were kind, especially kind to my, my children, especially. I know to many of our children in our church, and I want to thank you for your work. <clears throat> my parents were missionaries in Mexico, and there were seven other missionary couples from the Reformed Church in America down there in Chiapas, Mexico, all in different areas. And once a year, we'd all get together, and uh, everyone called the other people uncle and aunt, and because that was, that was our family. Those other seven couples, those family, that was, that was who we cared for and relied on during that time in the mission field. And one couple, Uncle Hank and Aunt Shar Steginga, they were always very kind and sweet to me, a rambunctious and energetic little boy. And uh, much later, they moved back to West Michigan near, near my parents. And one time, uh, Andrea and I got to go see them or, or have them over to my parents' house for dinner. And uh, I called them Uncle Hank and Aunt Shar. And I saw that this endeared them to me even 20 years later after that. This church here, we're a family. And the family of God calls us to help raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord together. Now, children are a blessing, but they're ultimately his, not ours. Hannah recognized this and honored the vow that she made to God. She also praises and thanks the Lord for his sovereign power and his goodness. She sees his goodness in her, to, to her in granting her petition, and she praises him for it. Do you and I do this? Do we praise God for his goodness to us with our children? We take these things for granted, don't we? Andrea and I prayed that God would grant us other children, and he's answered our prayer. We praise him for that. And I need to thank him for this and continue to remember that my children, all of our children, not mine. They're not ours. They're the Lord's. First and foremost, the most important thing our children need to see from us is to see that we fear the Lord and that our eternal confidence is in his goodness. So I'm going to start with some challenges to us parents and finish in this as well. Now, this fear starts with holding up the standard of God's word in our homes. Our children need to see that we are not the standard of our home. They need to see that God's word is the standard of our home. Is the word of God prioritized in your home? Do you make it a place of importance and priority? Do your children see this? Our children will know, and if this is not the case, they see us at our best and our worst. Do you talk about the fear of the Lord with your children and what this looks like and how this plays out in their lives practically? It's something I've been trying to do while driving with my kids, especially my sons, but all of my children, to use that time in the car to talk about what the fear of the Lord looks like. Now, I need to be more consistent and do it more often, but it's important that my children see that it is a value of our home. Our children know what we're willing to compromise with as well. If the fear of the Lord and the importance of God's word are not the foundations of our homes, our children will see that very, very quickly. They'll see when this is the case, and that also will have eternal impact 
in a negative way. Parents, we must remember that we're called to build up God's kingdom and not our own. Building our own kingdom can be a temptation, I think, for fathers and mothers as we call our children to honor us. But this is not building us up. It's for our children to recognize the authority that parents exercise. The authority is given by God and that we're under his authority just as they're under ours. If in your home you are worshipped and God is honored, that's a problem. We must make sure that our children know that God is worshipped and that we as parents are called to be honored as scripture says so. Having our homes be centers of thanksgiving to the Lord is vital for our children as well. Thanksgiving to God for his goodness is an active defense against pride and covetousness in our homes. Humble thanksgiving to God shows that we acknowledge all good things come from him and not from us. It shows our children that there's true joy within the midst of the fear of the Lord. We see this with Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving. She's joyful in the fear of the Lord for his sovereign hand over all things and his goodness to her. And it's clear that Elkanah and Hannah's household was one that feared God. Samuel would have seen this as well as when not only when they gave him to the Lord to serve, but how they continued to obey God and make that trip to Shiloh each year as God commanded. Parents, we need to continue to set high expectations for our children as well. Here in America, our, ch- our expectations for our children is very low. I know in other countries, boys and girls, 8, 9, 10 years old, are expected to work inside and outside of the homes. You, you can see young girls, 8, 9, 10 years old, taking care of numerous siblings and the, running the whole house while the mother is doing something else to earn a living. Or young boys working as hard or harder than their fathers in his profession. Now, both of my grandmothers grew up during the Great Depression and had to work to support their families. They had brothers that couldn't find work. They both were raised on farms that were struggling to survive. And my grandma Taylor, my mom's mother, she became a maid for wealthy people and cleaning houses in the, in the area of Cadillac at the age of 11. This was so that she could have food. They actually fed her and she was able to eat because her family couldn't afford additional food. And the little that she actually earned, she then gave to help support her family during these hard times. We often expect too little of our children, and that includes ourselves as well. Some of these areas are behavior, work ethic, chores around the house, effort in school, attitude, a lot of these things we expect too little. Our expectations are not just so our life is easier, it's to point our children's hearts to the fear of the Lord. This includes all those other things, behavior, attitude, work ethic, all of these character traits, but it's ultimately for the purpose of fearing the Lord. I remember about five years ago in a Sunday evening service, just like tonight, our, uh, our daughter Adele was four. She was sitting quietly and listening, paying attention. Uh, our daughter Evelyn was just a year old and was in Andrea's hands, and my son Isaiah was doing the exact opposite of Adele. He was not sitting quietly, Could have had about, looked like he had about a quart of scorpions in his pants at that point. And uh, that one evening, I remember taking him out uh, about 12 times to discipline him for, for not sitting quietly. 
Now, parents, I know evening services can be hard for, for, young, for young kids. But after that service, after taking him out 12 times and bringing him back, a friend of mine came up to me and gave me some godly advice, godly encouragement to trust God, to keep the expectation high, to keep raising those expectations as, as Isaiah got older, and that I would tr trust God that I would see Isaiah's behavior change. The expectation was set not just so that Isaiah would sit quietly, but it was so that he would focus on the worship of God and would hear about what was being preached. Now, in God's goodness, I was thankful for that dear friend to come up and say that and give some encouragement during that hard time. But parents, what are your expectations for your children and their fear of the Lord? When we baptize our children, the expectation is that they will fear and love God. And there's much proactive discipline through this, talking about those expectations, what that looks like, discussing the Word of God, giving our children encouragement in those expectations. This is what God expects of you. Trust in Him and His power. Go out, work hard, and we, your parents, support you and love you. Young people, we expect you to fear God and build His kingdom. I expect you of this, this of you. God expects this of you. Hannah expected Samuel would serve God for his whole life, and he did. He became a judge and a priest and anointed the first two kings of Israel, including the line of David that our Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from. Now, along with our expectations that our children will fear God, we must realize that we cannot keep our children from sin. We often want to try to find some type of system to foolishly protect our children from sin. Maybe it's the type of education that you're looking at, deciding whether it's private school, public school, charter school, home school. We think, well, if they're just smart enough, maybe they won't sin. Maybe it's athletics. If they just spend enough time and focus and effort doing this thing, this sport, they won't have the energy or desire to do those things. Maybe it's money. Maybe you think, if I just provide enough for my children, they won't desire sinful worldly things. Maybe it's just extracurricular activities, work, other things, music. If they spend all this time and fill up their time they, with other things, they won't sin at all. They won't have time to do that. Now, while all of these things have benefits in and of themselves, if we view them as the way to protect our children from sin, they're all going to fall away. Maybe it's dating versus courting. Whatever it is, all these false systems, these man-made systems will only end in defeat. This is exactly what the Amish have tried to do. They've tried to separate themselves from the world to avoid sin. And yet sin still rampant in their communities. It's in our children's hearts. Scripture tells us that. That from Adam, we all are born in sin. It's already there. It's not just the influence from the outside. It's already in the inside. And when we look to man-made systems for our foundation, we're building our houses upon the sand. And when the storm comes, those houses will be destroyed and washed away. We must build our house upon the rock, the only system given to us by the word of God, Jesus Christ. To fear God, to confess our sins, to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to look to the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue righteousness and forgiveness unto death, unto life, from death unto life. 
If we look to anything else, it will always end in failure. Whether we speak about them and confess them or not, our children know our sins. They need to see us be humble in our honesty and confession of our sins. In our passage, we find that Eli's sins are known to be worthless men, and they're still priests. Eli does not discipline his sons for their disobedience. He talks to them later on, uh, the part of the passage we didn't read, he rebukes them verbally, but he never does anything. He doesn't physically discipline them or remove them from a position for their sin. They've already become worthless men. Now, this is the environment that Hannah is putting Samuel in. She knows that there is sin going on within this environment, and yet she trusts God that he will care for Samuel And she's honoring the vow that she made to him. As we cannot keep sin away from our children, we need to allow them to go through hardships and struggles as well. Just like Hannah's trial of her womb being closed by the Lord, the Lord gives our children hard things to deal with. If we don't allow them to work through these hard things and look to him in trust and confidence, to point them to fear God through these things, Our children are not going to mature spiritually and emotionally. Several years ago, there was an article written in The Atlantic about a new type of parent, the snowplow parent. We all know about the helicopter parent, right? The one that huddles over their child, making sure that nothing physically bad happens to them. Well, the snowplow parent takes this even further. Like a snowplow, thus the name, The parent pushes away any kind of adversity their their child must deal with. The article addressed a study that was done for a group of freshmen at Stanford University. Now, all these incoming students on paper, they looked exemplary. They had fantastic GPAs, excellent SAT scores. They'd all been very active in in their schools and other ways. So on paper, they all looked very good. But because their their snowplow parents had pushed away any adversity, any hard things that they dealt with, they couldn't deal with any sort of conflict at all. Conflict like having an annoying roommate that stays up till 3 o'clock when you're trying to go to bed. Conflict like sharing a bathroom with somebody else. To the extreme where one young lady could not eat in the dining hall because she had not had to ever, ever eat anything with sauce on it. Sounds crazy, right? But this is what happens when we push all hardship and adversity away from our children. Our children will remember the hard things that God has put them through and they've had to trust him through. And they'll remember any of these failures any more than successes. After 10 years of playing football, I can remember almost every loss, almost every play in each of those losses. But all the wins, they just blur together. We parents must often gently push our children to go and do hard things, trusting God in this because our children are his. They're not ours. I appreciated my parents willing and wanting me to go work on a ranch in Wyoming at 15 years old. And I remember every failure that I had there. My parents knew, they both grew up on farms, they knew the danger, the inherent dangers, physical dangers especially, living on, working on a ranch and a farm. I remember my, my failures there. I remember destroying a $40,000 tractor implement by running into a fence 
just 20 minutes after the owners had told me and reminded me to watch out for that specific piece of fence. Don't run into that fence. What did I do? I ran the tractor right into that fence. $40,000. I remember the car I was in that rolled over and crashed. I remember the concrete culvert that was hidden in the grass that I crashed into a four-wheeler and flew over the handlebars. Many of you know the story of how I failed Survey of Jazz in college. If you don't, ask me sometime. You might be thinking, really? Survey of Jazz? Are you kidding me? Who fails that class? Well, this guy did. <clears throat> to graduate, I had to pay out of pocket to take it over again. That was an expensive lesson to learn, but I learned many lessons just from that failure. We must allow our children to fail. We can be there to help them work through it, but God will use these failures and is, will sanctify them and is sovereign over these things. Hannah, Hannah would have known that Samuel was ha would have had a hard road ahead. To be a priest, to be a judge, was not an easy thing. It was hard. It was a time when everyone, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Scripture tells us that. But she was trusting Samuel to a weak leader in Eva, Eli. And yet, even through these hard things, Hannah trusted God that he would care for her son because her son was God's and not hers. Appointing our children to the fear of the Lord doesn't end when they leave our homes. At the end of the passage, we see that Hannah continued to bring a new robe for Samuel each year they went to Shiloh. Her love and care for Samuel did not end just because he was out of her home, and neither should ours. Our children will continue to look for, to us for help, for challenge, to encourage them to trust and fear God going forward, even when they're on their own. Leaving and cleaving is important, and starting their own families is necessary, but this doesn't mean that we just wash our hands of our children. This can be often, I think, a temptation for large families, and for also for those that don't find joy now with their children. I've often heard people say, well, we'll do this or we'll do that when the kids are out of the house. Then we'll have the time or the money or whatever to be able to do it. So their children are actually a distraction from what they want to do. I knew with my parents that they wanted to be in my life even after I went on my own. When I was a foolish 18-year-old, I thought everything they said and did was wrong. But it was me who was wrong in my attitudes and my actions toward my parents. After graduating college, I painted houses. I helped a friend with his painting company get on its feet, get started, and painted for another company. And at that time, painting wasn't, uh, wasn't super lucrative. I wasn't making a lot of money. I had some college debt to pay off and a few other things. And my dad offered to buy me a plane ticket back to California in the spring so I could help him with some work around the house. And while we were working together, I, I asked for his advice in some future decisions. And we prayed. He gave me his opinion. But then he told me I had to trust God and go forward in what I thought was best. He knew I wasn't making much money painting, so he even offered to lend me money to buy an engagement ring to marry Andrea. I appreciate his wisdom and the way he spoke to me as a man who needed to make my own decision, even if he disagreed with it. It showed me that my father feared God and knew that he was sovereign in whichever decision I made. I also know that dad disagreed with other decisions I made, but continued to trust in God that he would be sovereign in these things. 
Our care for our children continues even when they're gone from out of our homes, whether they live next door or 5,000 miles away. Even when out of our homes, our children need to see that our standard hasn't changed. It continues to be the fear of the Lord, love of Christ, and obedience to his word. And that when our children are outside of our homes, they still need us to challenge and encourage them in these things. Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in the hands of the warrior. This implies that they're to be shot out of the quiver, not to be held. Hannah trusted God and honored her vow to to him by sending out Samuel from her home. He became a judge over all Israel, a priest who anointed the line of Christ. We must fear the Lord with our children, keeping in mind that they are his and not ours. Let's be thankful for the time that he's given us with them and honor the vows we've taken to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and then shoot them out to fear God and build his kingdom, not our own. This is what God expects of us. This is ordinary faith. Let's challenge and encourage each other to do this. Young people, fear God and go and do things for his glory, not yours. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the blessing of children, for physical, spiritual children that you give to, to our whole family, all of us here tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that we continue to show our children and teach our children the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, that their hearts are brought close to you, that they are given saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they go out and fear you in all that they do, that they are lights for you. Lord, help us to do this. Give us strength. May we encourage one another in this, Lord, and may our church be one of generations that fear God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.